thank you. I pray that you would just quiet our hearts this morning as we look into your word. I pray that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit as we gather here together in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, folks. You can have a seat. I'm glad to see so many of you sitting outside. My faith in humanity is restored. <laughs> we, somebody came in this morning and, and said they couldn't believe my lack of faith because we put up a tent. I said, we didn't put up the tent for the rain. We put it up for the hot sun. So uh, I guess we're covered there. Uh, there's an interesting phenomenon happening in our country over the last few decades, and it is that everyone seems to be getting busier. There's so much to do and no time to do it. If you talk to someone and say, hey, how's it going? One of the first things they're going to say is, man, it's busy. Oh, got so much going on, got so much to do. The interesting thing is that at the same time that we've been getting busier over the last couple of decades, the average work week has gotten shorter. I don't know if you knew that, but in 1950, the average full-time worker was working 48 hours a week now, in 2021, the average full-time worker is working 37 hours a week. I know you're saying, where can I get that job? Uh, the average worker in 1950 got 16 days of vacation per year. In 2021, it's 28 days, but we're busier than ever. We have less available time to do everything that needs to be done because we are moving at hyperspeed. And we're distracted by the things that are going on. Statistics tell us that 64% of car accidents are due to distracted driving, either texting or eating or putting on makeup or all the other things you see people doing when you pass them in their cars. The average person checks their phone 50 times a day. There's so much to be done and yet so little time to enjoy life. My thought that I want to share with you this morning is I don't think that's healthy for us. I don't think it's healthy for us in any way, but I think it's particularly unhealthy for us spiritually. Where is the time to nurture our souls? I remember when I was a kid, and some of you remember this as well, that on Sunday morning we get up and we went to Sunday school at 9.30. And then at 11 o'clock was church. And then at 6 o'clock that night was church again. And then Wednesday night was prayer meeting. Now, I'm not suggesting that we need to go back to that, nor am I saying that increasing the number of church services we have every week is going to increase our spirituality. But what I am saying is this. There are no shortcuts to sanctification. There are no things that we can turn off into to speed up the process. Becoming who God wants us to be takes time. Self-denying discipleship is not incidental, it's intentional. If you were with us last week, we were looking at the book of Mark, and we said that if we're going to be disciples, we need to deny ourselves, we need to take up our crosses, and we need to follow Christ. My question for you this morning is, when was the last time you paused to take stock of your life? When was the last time you just took a moment and looked at what was happening in your life and said, what do I need to do 
in order to be the person that God intends for me to be. When do we do that? When do we take time to stop and pray, to stop and listen to God's voice? I want to suggest to you this morning that the disciples' priority must be knowing Jesus. And my theory is that most of us here this morning are too busy to do that. We're too busy to take time. Some of us are busy with meaningless things. And some of us, like the lady that we're going to read about this morning, are busy with good things, but still too busy. Do you have time to know Jesus? We're in Luke this morning. If it felt like it took us forever to get through the Old Testament, I don't know, I haven't talked to Tim about this, but to me it's going to feel like the New Testament is going to go like that. We're already in Luke. Tim's going to do John and Acts. Before you know it, we're into the epistles. There's so much material here, and we just can't cover all of it, but Jesus has come onto the scene, and he's traveling, and he's teaching. And if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I mentioned this last week, many times you'll see a lot of overlap. You'll read the same stories again and again from perhaps just a little bit different perspective of a different writer. But this passage that we're going to look at this morning is only found in the book of Luke. He's the only one who recorded it. It's in Luke chapter 10, if you want to follow along. I'm going to read the verses and just kind of walk us through it over the next few minutes. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now we don't know some of these things for sure, but the way that it's worded makes it seem like Jesus hasn't met Martha before. Uh, in the book of Matthew, when we're reading that Jesus was sending out the disciples, one of the things he said was, when you go into a town, go up to a home, and if they welcome you, if they invite you into the house, then stay. If they don't, move on to the next one. And so I'm presuming that Jesus was doing what he told the disciples to do. He went into this town, went to this house, asked if he could come in, and they welcomed him in. And the lady's name was Martha. It says it was her house. Again, we're not sure, but perhaps Martha was a widow because it was referred to as her house. In verse 40, she calls him Lord. So we guess that she knew at least somewhat of who he was and was perhaps even a believer. But one thing that we're going to see about Martha when we look at this passage is that Martha was a hostess. Do you know people like that? When you come into their house, you just immediately feel at home because everything is just so and everything is, is ready for you. And prepared for you. And that was Martha. She was the person who did that. And when Jesus came to her house and she at least had some idea of who he was, her mind immediately went to everything that needed to be done. I have an important guest. So what's Martha thinking about? Well, what do you think about when a guest comes to your house? If you're like my wife, the first thing you think about is cleaning. Cleaning. Not that it's not already clean, but there's clean and then there's company clean. And that's what Martha was thinking. i got to clean. Somebody's got to go to the store. Somebody's got to chop. Somebody's got to dice. Somebody's got to julienne. You're impressed with it. I know that, right? Somebody's got to cook. What are we going to do? Important people. That was Martha. She was a hostess. 
Look at verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to his teaching. Now, this is kind of an interesting picture that we have here. We have Jesus. Martha invites him into the house. Mary comes, sits at his feet. You may think, well, that's kind of weird. (laughs) When was the last time a guest came into your house and you went and sat at their feet? We don't do that here, do we? It's just not our culture. But in this culture, in first century Rome, in Judaism, in in this Jewish culture, that was very common. And Jesus was known as a rabbi. He was a teacher. And when Mary went and sat at his feet, that was an indication of her intense interest in what he had to say. And it was really a position of submission. I am at your feet to learn. That's what Mary was saying. So the unusual part was not that she was sitting at his feet. The unusual part was that a woman was sitting at his feet. Rabbis everywhere had people sitting at their feet while they were teaching, but they were always men. First century rabbis did not accept women as disciples, as students. But Mary was consumed with knowing Jesus. She wanted to know everything. She wanted to ask questions. She wanted to hear what he had to say. As soon as she knew that Jesus was there, she went right to his feet and sat down. I want to know everything, Lord. Tell me all of it. And Jesus encouraged this. He encouraged Mary, even though she was a woman. Why? Because he loved her. He cared about her. He knew that women needed the truth as much as men did. The truth is the knowledge of God, which every person needs to be a disciple. Now, once again, we're going to refer back to this many times probably over the next few weeks, but when Tim was talking about the book of Matthew, one of the things he said was Jesus was changing everything. (laughs) The Jews had thousands of years to figure out what God wanted, and so they were doing it by rote, by ritual, over and over, day after day, week after week, year after year, century after century. Now, Jesus comes... And he just upends all of it. And he's doing it again with Mary. Look at verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. There's a problem. Mary is happy. She's where she wants to be. Martha is not happy. She's distracted. The word literally means pulled away, and it carries with it the idea of being greatly troubled. Now, I don't know what the layout of Martha's house was, but if she was a modern woman, maybe she had an open concept. And Jesus was over in the great room, and he was teaching. He was sitting there teaching. And all the people in the house, I don't know if there was five, if there were ten, if there were fifteen. I don't know how big Martha's house was. But there were people there, and I'm sure the longer Jesus sat and taught, the more people came to hear. And Martha knew who she was, knew who Jesus was, rather. And so she would stand 
in the kitchen at the island, and she would listen. And she was intrigued because she knew who he was. She believed in him. She wanted to hear it too. And so she'd get a little closer, and then she'd think, I've got a roast in the oven. I've got to get back over there and check that. And then she would listen again, and then she would go back, and then she would think, oh, my goodness, that bathroom. There's 10 people in the house. I need to clean it again. That's what was happening. She was distracted. That's what the word means. You understand it, right? You've felt that before. Pulled in different directions. I've got too many things to do. That's what was happening. By the way, some of you are like this. You're in the middle of one thing, and then you see something else you want to be part of, and you get dragged away, right? And you're torn. And you keep getting into more and more things, and often they're good things. And when we think about Martha, it's easy for us to think, well, Martha should have been sitting at Jesus' feet too. She shouldn't have been hostessing. She shouldn't have been worried about that kind of stuff. But hospitality is a good thing. It's commanded even in the Scripture. The problem was that she was overwhelmed by it. She was overwhelmed. Every one of us as Christ followers, as disciples can lose our focus on what really matters and we can replace it with lesser things. Jesus himself was in Martha's home. What an opportunity. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear him teach? But she was distracted. She was troubled. She was overwhelmed by all of these things. And did you notice what she said to Jesus? She walked up to Jesus and she said, Don't you care? Don't you care? What a horrifying accusation to make of the most compassionate person who ever walked the face of the earth. Don't you care? Can you picture what was going on in Martha? You know what I wonder? I wonder how long did it take her to get to this point where she just lost it? I mean, at first she was like, oh, it's so nice to have Jesus here and to have all these friends over. And then she was thinking, oh my goodness, I'm not going to have enough food. I need to peel another pound of carrots. And then she was thinking, why are they all here? Why don't they go home and have supper at their own house? And then she got close enough one time and she saw Mary sitting there. And I think she kept getting closer and closer and closer. And finally, here's Jesus teaching, speaking to all these people. And she walked right up to him in the middle of it. Don't you even care? That's my sister. She should be cleaning the bathroom. She should be helping me. Verse 41, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. As Jesus repeats her name, he does it compassionately, calmly, 
showing that he did indeed care. See, I believe with all my heart when I read this, Jesus loved Martha just as much as he loved Mary. You're anxious and troubled. The implication of those words is, is panicked, torn apart. I mean, Martha has gone from distraction to distress. She's in a panic because of everything that's gone on. Jesus doesn't take sides. He doesn't condemn her, so to speak. But the issue was her attitude. And he called her attention to the deficiency in her relationship with him. Serving is great, Martha. But you need to know me. Look at verse 42. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. You see the contrast? Martha, you are, you are panicked over all kinds of things. Mary is concerned about one thing. One thing is necessary. What is the one thing, folks? What is the one necessity for the disciple? It's devotion to Christ and His Word. That's the necessity. Did you know that God doesn't need our service? Did you know that? Did you know that in fact God doesn't need us at all? That He can accomplish His purpose. Every single thing that God has purposed to do, He can do without us. He doesn't need us, but we desperately need Him. The one thing is Jesus and our intimacy with Him. Unfortunately, we're so often, we're often so busy doing that we're not being. Why is that? I want to suggest to you that we find our significance in doing. We feel good about ourselves when we're doing something, don't we? That's all right. You can nod your head. You can admit it. It feels good to do something, right? When something is wrong, if we have a friend who is struggling with someone, someone in our family that's wrestling with someone, what do we say? I wish I could what? I wish I could help you. I wish I could do something. Because we feel better when we're doing something. We sense our significance in doing. And oftentimes we're so busy even doing things for Christ that we are not being who we need to be in Christ. As a disciple, your priority must be knowing Jesus. You have to be a disciple before you can do disciple things. Now, if you keep reading throughout the Gospels, you will find that eventually Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus would become disciples and dear friends of Christ. 
This is not the last time we see Mary and Martha and their family. And the reason why I point that out to you is I want you to understand and see Jesus' grace in Martha's life. This is Martha the first time Jesus meets her. And she's freaking out because of everything that's going on. And she's overwhelmed by it. Later when we see Martha, her perspective has changed because she has been with Jesus. And what I want you to see this morning is that you and I both have the opportunity to change and grow as well. You don't have to stay where you are. This is the message of Jesus. This is the whole story. We've been talking about the whole story. This is the story. The story is that Jesus came to change things. Jesus came to offer us grace so that we might be different people. And my question for you this morning is this. Where are you in this whole process? This process of change. What is distracting you from knowing what is best? What is distracting you from knowing Jesus? I know you have a home, and you have work, and you have responsibilities, and you have family, and you have relationships, but we all live multifaceted lives, and nothing must be allowed to supplant the truth, the truth and the priority of knowing Jesus. See, when we start out in this track of neglecting the truth of the Word of God, it may not seem very serious. You may think, well, what's the big deal? I come to church, it's okay if I don't have time to read the Scripture, if I don't have a lot of time to pray. I'm not a contemplative person. I'm not a thinker, I'm a doer. And at first you may hardly notice the difference when you don't spend time with God, when you don't read the Scripture, when you don't pray, when you don't listen for His voice. But busyness causes certain things to happen in our lives. Busyness causes us to become self-focused. Look at what I'm doing. Look at what I have going on. When it continues to blossom in our lives, busyness causes us to become filled with a sense of importance. Look at all I'm doing. Look at everything that I have going on. When we continue along this road, we begin to lose perspective about what really matters and about the things that are important. And eventually this causes us to elevate our desires over God's desires. That's what happened to Martha. Jesus, don't you care? Tell her to help me. Busyness leads to distraction, which leads to self-pity, which leads to resentment, which leads to anger. And soon, instead of rejoicing in the character and the promises of God, we find ourselves awash in our own stuff wallowing in our problems and finding fault with others. 
And before we know it, we're angry and we're bitter. And then we're telling God what to do. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says this, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be both the glory now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Did you catch that reference? Second Peter. Last week, Peter was the guy who was grabbing Jesus by the arm, remember? And saying, this isn't going to happen, Jesus. This is what we're going to do. And now what does Peter say? This is the very last verse that Peter writes. This is the end of his second book. What matters? Grow in grace. By the way, this is not just another thing to add to the list. This is the list. This is it. This is the most important thing, the one thing. When Jesus says Martha has chosen the one thing that is necessary, this is it, our growth. When John the Baptist came on the scene, he had one purpose. He was going to announce the coming of Jesus. He was going to get everybody ready for Jesus. But if you read about him, do you know what happened when John started teaching? He started gaining a following. People started to know what his name was, and he had disciples. And then Jesus came along, and his disciples were like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do, John? I mean, you're a guy. You're, you're pretty important. We're following you. You know what John said? He said, he must increase, and I must decrease. We sang it last week. More of you, less of me. Make me who I'm meant to be. That's the one thing, folks. What does a disciple do? He denies self, he takes up his cross, and he follows Jesus. He holds nothing back. He stops chasing things that he thinks are going to fill the void, and he opens his heart to hear the voice of God. Friends, that is the one thing. Do you listen as the band sings for us? This morning as we close. So the question is, what is distracting you? Is there something that's keeping you from knowing Jesus? From spending the time you need to? I mean, serving is important. We're called to serve. But we have to be before we can do. If you're too busy to read God's Word, if you're too busy to pause and assess where you are in your relationship with God, then you're too busy. I want to challenge you this morning to consider finding your significance by merely being in the presence of God as His child, to be accepted in the Beloved, as Paul says rather than trying to fill your life with all the things that you think will make him happy. I like to believe that Martha learned that, that she grew in grace, and she combined her gifts and her talents for hospitality with a passionate devotion to Jesus Christ. I think that's what God wants from us. Mary's heart and Martha's service 
We are called to serve this community, folks, but we are never going to reach this community with the gospel of Christ unless we are who we need to be here first. I want people from this church to pack up and move to Nepal or India and share the gospel there. But we start with knowing who Christ is and becoming who he calls us to be, and then we can go, right? That's what he's asking of us, my friends. Father, thank you so much for your loving care. Thank you once again for the truth of the word. I, you have been so gracious to us in giving us your truth in sharing these principles with us and, and by the Holy Spirit allowing us to be able to understand them. Father, forgive us for being so busy that we squeeze you out of the picture. May we pause in your presence even today and hear your voice. Listen for you. Speak to us, Father. Draw us ever closer. And I pray that everyone here this morning would be who you are calling them to be so that they in turn might do what you are asking them to do. Thank you once again for this morning together. We're so thankful to be able to gather. And now as we scatter into this community, I pray that you will use us for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for coming, folks. I hope you have a great week.